right. Coming up next, we are speaking to Alison Towner, marine biologist, about shark cage diving, which apparently saves sharks. Um, who knew? So shark cage diving saves sharks. I don't know if I would ever do it. Um, I know a lot of people who want to do it, and I know one or two people who actually have done it. Um, but, you know, um, at least it's good for the sharks. And I think that that's good, because as much as I might be afraid of sharks, I believe that we need sharks the way we need bees. Um, but Alison will be best place to to talk to us about that. So Alison Towner is a marine is a marine biologist at Marine Dynamics and she's going to tell us more about shark cage diving and ocean sustainability. Good morning Alison. Good morning. How are you? Bright. I'm wide eyed, bright eyed and bushy tailed this morning. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what you do. What I do. Okay, so you've touched on the fact that we have an incredible species of shark here on the South African coastline. Mm-hmm. And basically, we work really hard to promote its conservation and to, to keep it here and to educate and, and reach out to as many people as we can to, first of all, have an opportunity to come and see this animal, mm-hmm. um, but secondly, make sure that we can monitor it and keep it around for future generations and for our oceans. So do you do... Course, mo- Sorry about that. Do you do most of your work in Hans by with the white, the Great White? Correct. Yes. So we're based just sort of two hours east of Cape Town, um, so just just the other side of Hermanus. A lot of people sort of ask, is it near Hermanus? Um, and yes, it's an incredible area for biodiversity. So we've got the Dyer Island ecosystem right here on the doorstep. And how long have you been doing this? Uh, I've been based with Marine Dynamics for. Over 13 years now, I came down um, and did my master's degree here at University of Cape Town with them, and they, they supported me through my, my whole um, degree there, and now I'm currently just in the final phase of the PhD. So I've watched over a decade of, uh, of things go on here with our ocean, and it's, yeah, it's really quite an amazing place. So how does shark cage diving save sharks? Well, that's actually our hashtag, Science Save Sharks, and we get a, a lot of questions regarding that. The thing is, down here along this coastline in southern Africa, we've got an incredibly transient population of white sharks. So they're moving all the time. And obviously, while they do that, they face a whole host of threats. So as humans, I, I often I got asked the other day, what's the scariest thing about, about sharks to you? And I said, actually, it's the impact that those oceans are, uh, of humans are having on the oceans right now. It's scary and watching so many of these species decline. Um, so we conduct research within this area in order to sort of equip ourselves with, um, with information about where these sharks go. And the cage diving actually is our support platform for that research. It's the only body that enables us to fund this expensive science that has to be done here. Um, because, of course, to monitor where a large transient predatory white shark goes is not easy and it involves putting uh, you know, devices on them, um, which can be up to $1,000 per animal. So it's... it's it's actually a model to enable the research of cage diving. Okay, and then what happens to the information that you gather? 
So we have a, a conservation trust called the Dyer Island Conservation Trust. It's in its 11th year now. Uh, and on their website, we have a, a, a list of publications. So we, we try and conduct the science and write it up and put it out into journals, but then also share it very widely on social media platforms to just to keep the, you know, the right messages out there and, and communicate the science in a more sort of transparent way for everybody. Because as we know, academic language can be quite... Um, can be sometimes quite daunting and not easily read by by everybody. And our, our aim is to actually educate as many people as we can. So what's happening down here in South Africa really is the fact that this was the first nation in the world to protect great white sharks, which is a real historic and iconic thing I think South Africans could be proud of. But it's actually the only place in the world that is not showing any recovery in white shark numbers. So we communicate that, we try and get that message out that now more than ever, the Southern African white shark needs help. It needs conservation and it needs protection on its side. Um, we find that obviously our terrestrial animals, our rhinos, our lions, you know, all the charismatic fauna on land gets a lot of attention and quite rightly so because of all the wildlife crime against them. But the oceans are exactly the same here, if not worse, because the ocean mm. often hides the damage that's being done. Mm. So our, our aim is to get that research, get the published papers out there for the, the academic side of things, but then use that information to educate and also to inform policy. So, for example, you can't protect an animal in its distribution if you don't have information that tells you it's there. And that's where the tagging program comes in, where we put the, the transmitters on the sharks to be able to show where they go to and spend their time. Mm. I think um, you've touched on an important point about why the the sea doesn't get as much attention or the or the animals in the sea doesn't get as much attention as the big five. I think part of the problem is we don't see them, you know, they're, because they're in the sea. Then they're not quite as visible, you know, as 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 the big five. But in fact, the great white is um, bigger than than the big five in in a lot of ways. So I think maybe what you're doing and and this conversation we're having now are very important components because we are now making the great white visible when when we do this. And of course, you are very involved in making the great white visible. Um, And so we are trying to, to be part of that process. What can someone who is listening, what can they do? How can they get involved? Well, I mean, if you're local, you're South African, and you've not been to see a great white shark along your coastline right now, why are you waiting? I mean, come and have a look at this incredible fish. Obviously, you touched on it. It's one of our marine five. We have an equivalent. We have our sharks, whales, dolphins, penguins, and seals. Um, And this is the largest carnivorous fish in the world. And it's actually the most accessible place in the world to see them. So we go out to Dyer Island and the surrounding reefs here. It takes us 10 minutes to get out and go and see them. Uh, elsewhere in the world, you're going to go hours and hours, and it's going to be horrifically expensive, actually, to go and see them. So get down here and support this, because once you've seen a white shark, number one, you can't help but be enamored by them. They're an absolutely magnificent predator. Uh, number two, you become an ambassador, because we hope during your experience with marine dynamics, we can then educate you to the plight of the Southern African white shark, which I explained is much different to elsewhere in the world. And you can go away and translate that information, that correct information about why this animal needs conservation on its side. Because actually that cage diving is keeping these sharks worth more alive than dead in the South African government's eyes and on their books. And so therefore, just like, you know, mountain gorilla conservation, without the tourism, this shark's gone. I mean, we're monitoring them out there daily and collecting information on their numbers. If those boats are not out there, then who's going to do that? And so there's nobody actually to safeguard them. So again, come and support it because you're being an ambassador for them. You're you're helping safeguard them and you're helping conduct the very vital research that's so necessary here by just supporting the, the tourism itself. Now, I don't want to sound like a cliche, but can we do a little bit of, you know, 
three or four facts and three or four myths because Jaws is mm-hmm. uh, yeah very very much uh, you know embedded in popular culture to the point where they do remakes of it. So it's mm-hmm. not just me who remembers yeah. it. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean Jaws was an iconic movie, and I'm. Growing up as a child in England, it was one of the main things that sort of grabbed my attention around white sharks and sort of fear turned to fascination. Um, But of course, it had a very damaging uh, effect that a lot of people then associate great white sharks with man-eaters, and that's absolutely not the case. But fact number one, absolutely, these are not man-eaters. If they were, we would certainly know about it. I mean, your chances of of being bitten by a shark are extremely low, um, probably like four to five individuals each year. Um, And if you compare that to, like, mosquitoes, for example, um, yeah. So, number one, they are not mindless man-eaters. They're extremely complex hunters. They're quite prey-specific. So they have a specific taste for what they want to hunt, and that's what they hunt. And those humans are very sinewy and not very fatty and not really nutritious to them. So, yes, they're not man-eaters. Number two, just a quick one, they have blue eyes. Um, in the film Jaws, uh, Hooper and Quint, who are two of the main characters, famously say, you know, the black, black lifeless right. eyes of the shark. Right. No, they've got incredible eyes. The, the sunlight, when it penetrates the water and you're in the shark cage looking at them face to face and you see that colour of their eye, it's actually stunning. So they're remarkably beautiful animals. And they're certainly not these vicious machines that they've been portrayed in the media. Number three, they actually all have their personalities, all have their own personalities. And we've established that through active tracking them, which effectively means we've tagged them and we've spent hundreds, over 500 hours monitoring them and stalking their movements in the bay. And we figured out, you know, these guys, just like every other animal, have to graduate and get more experience with time to learn how to feed effectively. So you get the young white sharks that sort of, they don't fill the role, you know, they kind of have to learn that they missed the seal a few times before they, they, they hunt it. Or, you know, the very large white sharks that come in and they're just so experienced and so good at what they do. They're not even interested in a cage diving boat. So yeah, you've got personalities in these animals, which is something I'm very, very interested in, and a real individual level of hunting between them. There's far more complexity to them than just being a, a swimming, eating, mating fish. Okay, number four, we've never actually seen anywhere in the world great white sharks breeding or mating. So those are two key life history traits that we actually really need to understand and establish if we want to effectively conserve a predator or any animal. And given their you know, elusive, iconic nature and all the, the focus that's been put on them scientifically, how incredible is that mm. that we still have never seen them giving birth so, or mating? So sorry, Alison, my question then is, when you say we, do you mean we at Marine Dynamics or do you mean we as the marine scientific community have never seen this? Uh, as the marine scientific community. So we actually published a paper, uh, a collaborative paper uh, called Future Directions in White Shark Research this year. You can go onto the Dara Island Conservation Trust website and download it. And 43 experts from around the world who conduct white shark research and um, sort of roadmapped where we need to go in the future. And one of the key paragraphs in that paper is the fact that we still don't know where they have kids and where they mate. So, yes, it's, it's very, very, uh, I suppose it's an eye-opener, as you mentioned, the ocean's really good at hiding stuff. Well, this yeah, is an animal yeah. that spends a lot of time moving in the ocean and, and can mm. dive down to depths of over 900 meters. So, yeah, critical things that we still have never got on them. Um, and finally, what else can I say to you that's, that's a fact that many people don't know? Yeah, just essentially that hands by is such a, a close uh, and accessible aggregation site that we can see them year round. So a lot of people think, well, they only come here to hunt seals, right? Mm. No, that's, that's wrong. They actually spend a lot of time on the inshore of beaches and reefs. 
they use the beaches actually to, to digest their food, to rest in between their migrations. And they've been using beaches a lot longer than we have evolutionary. So when we enter the water along the Cape Coast, in fact, along the whole southern African coast, we must be mindful of the fact we, we're going into the lion's den in the ocean. This is the white shark territory. And it's also using those beaches. It also enjoys them. Um, and what gives us the right then to say, well, if this shark's here, it should be out of my way. You know, it's, that's, that's just uh, something that a lot, a lot of people don't get their heads around is that great whites do use the shallow water. Uh, it's a very important functional habitat to them. And sometimes if you, you just do a flight along the coast, you, you'll see up to sort of 15, 20 great whites along the beach if you've got the right time of year and the right conditions. And uh, it's just quite remarkable to see how shallow they can navigate their huge bodies. Wow. Something so we must always be mindful of. That makes me very curious to see that. So what would be the right time of year to, um, you know, get in a, a helicopter, I guess, and, and go along the coast and, and see sharks? Well, that's a great question. So all the research that's been done in South Africa, remember you've got the, the shark spotters there in Cape Town that do some brilliant monitoring right. in False Bay. So what tends to happen is white sharks become more prevalent on the inshore of South African's coastline in summer months. And it's correlated with many things. Because obviously the oceanography here is very com- uh, complex. You've got Atlantic and Indian Ocean currents. So that time of year, you've got really high upwelling. The water temperature gets very cold, okay. but it's very nutrient-rich. So therefore, you get all the summer fish species. And great whites will absolutely take advantage of that and go on the inshore and, and forage for other species that are, are more readily available. So anywhere in the South African summer, uh, would generally be the time that you'd see them inshore. However, with marine research, I can always say there's, there's always an exception to the rule. And the flight I did was in July, the one year, 2010. We went over Walker Bay between Hermanus and Hansby, and that was the day we counted 20 of them inshore. Uh, in amongst southern right whales and, and bottlenose dolphins, and all of them in a very slow, relaxed mode, probably just resting, you know, trying to digest their food. So incredible to see, but yeah. Never say never. That's all I'm, I'm going to put out there. So, um, Alison, my last question for you is, what has been your best or most memorable um, moment or, or incident in your career with sharks? Most memorable moment? Wow. I can honestly say I feel so privileged to be able to work with this shark. And, um, you know, there's not a day that I go out there and we, we, we do some work monitoring them. And, you know, for example, last week we had a a really amazing female white shark that came to the boat. Now, we'd never seen her before. The Dyer Island Conservation Trust have an extensive database of dorsal fins where we, you know, we recognize all our individuals and name them. So this is a new shark in the bay, and we managed to deploy an acoustic transmitter on her, um, which is the first time we've done that, actually, in two years, because the white shark numbers have been very unstable, um, down to the fact that we've got overfishing here. We've got walkers that are starting to kill them. Um, so there was, there, was, you know, there was a moment there where, I guess, because it's been a long time since we've had a white shark around like that, I really had this sort of gratification and, and even increased appreciation for them being there. So I guess, yeah, just the, the insight into their lives through the tagging has been the career highlight for me, just really seeing what they get up to, what amazingly complex animals they are, and how much there's so much more work that we need to do along this coastline to, to conserve them. So, yes, I would say that the, the tagging of them is absolutely the most rewarding part of the um, of the, of the research here and, and, and really seeing what they're like as a predator, not just this sort of uh, stationary at a boat and watching them. So, Alison, thank you very much for joining us. I can't say that you've enticed me to get into a shark cage, but I definitely want to learn more and I want to mm-hmm. see more. So I'm definitely going to, to see if I can, you know, 
hop on a, a boat and see something or even a helicopter during the summer and see if I yeah, can I see mean, something. If you, if you want to come and um, just see them from the surface, Dyer Island Cruises are also in Hansby. They do eco trips, incredible trips that go to the whole Dyer Island system. They go past the shark boat. So if you don't want to get in the water in a wetsuit, you can see them from another boat and it's equally as amazing. So I'd highly recommend it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alison Towner, marine biologist based out in Hansby with Marine Dynamics. Thank you for taking the time this morning. You're so welcome. Thank you.